morning. Good morning. How are you? How are you? I'm doing well. We're recording this on July 31st, last day of the month. I can't believe July is already over. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun, right? Yeah, stuck inside, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, um, we're going to jump right in. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, we went a little over last time of our normal uh, targeted time, so let's try to get straight to the point on this one. Yeah, and then we can go over again. Exactly, exactly. We could talk for hours, couldn't we? Uh, so, um, so what we want to do today is just kind of talk about, as we always do, what's happening overall with the markets, the economy. Um, but we really want to dive deep. We've got a lot of questions into um, international allocation. Um, international stocks haven't done as well going back for a decade at this point. And so we just wanted to address a little bit and provide some education on what that actually is. What do we do when we talk about in investing internationally, why we think it makes sense. So we'll start with the economy as we um, try to, and I've got a chart as I like to have uh, to share just on one thing that we're seeing um, as we, we look to the actual economy, taking stock market out, which we'll get to, but overall in the economy, some concerns that we have. And I think you can see now um, a chart. This is actually from Visual Capitalist. Visual Capitalist puts together some nice stuff. If you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, we, we send a lot of these out when we think they look pretty good. So you may have seen this earlier this week. This is delinquency rate by property type. As we know, pandemic has shut down a lot of things. We've got um, people not paying their rent because they lost their jobs. There's legitimate reasons why this is happening. You also have businesses that aren't producing any revenue. I just saw today, I think it was uh, CPK, California Pizza Kitchen, uh, filed for bankruptcy, and they are have not paid rent on most of their lo locations for months. And uh, this is just showing you basically that on different types of real estate, what's actually happening by property type that we're at um, 10% delinquency rate on this. And this is just one sign of things are still looking pretty bad uh, from the economy perspective. Do you have any thoughts when you look at this, Gary? Well, all I can say is the economy, although we're coming back a bit, uh, I think we're going to come back a lot slower than many people thought because we didn't even get to the point where there might be a second coming of the, the virus before the first wave went away, the second wave came. Mm -hmm. And how long is that going to last? Uh, boy, nobody knows. There's no vaccine yet, and I think it's going to be a while before there is a vaccine. And from the stuff that I'm reading, uh, even if there is a vaccine, it's not going to last forever. Ever. Uh, the people that are develop developing them, uh, some of them are saying that you're going to need the original uh, a vaccine, vaccination, and there's going to need a booster shot, and nobody knows how long that it will work before uh, it's not effective anymore. And so I'm very concerned about even with the vaccine, it's not going to be as effective as we are all hoping it will be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, speaking kind of short term here, 
Um, unemployment benefits at this point are going back, uh, have not been passed that they're going to keep the $600 um, a week extra benefits. We there's still debate about the stimulus package. What else for the next round of stimulus is going to happen? We're here where um, you've got the moratorium on evictions and foreclosures are being lifted around the country. And uh, we have, as we said a couple months ago, we thought at that time we were only in the first or second inning of a nine inning um, ball game to see how this all shakes out in the economy. Okay, maybe we're ending three <laughs> at this point. We have not seen anywhere close to the full ramifications. Um, you know, what happens, just, just to talk through, what happens when, if, if we don't have this vaccine anytime soon, um, or even if we do, but people don't get out there, people don't take it. I know I've seen that a lot of, even if there's a vaccine, do we trust it um, kind of discussions. Um, you know, what, what changes that lead to, Unemployment is high for five years, uh, even. <laughs> that could be crazy to see how that all shakes out where it has ripple effects throughout the economy that maybe today we don't see. You don't see that showing up in the numbers, but it will be there if this continues going down the path that it is. So we, uh, we are still early in seeing how this all shakes out. That, unfortunately, is very true. So let's talk um, about the stock market at this point. Um, so this is looking uh, so far year to date. This is looking at, at a few different, um, I just pulled out some ETFs that, that you, anyone can go buy, Vanguard ETFs, um, just because they're, they're good benchmarks of actual investments that you can go into. So we've got, uh, I'll just quickly walk through what we're looking at. We've got in the purple, is emerging market stocks. We've got uh, in the peach color is basically a total U.S. stock market index. Developed markets is in uh, blue. Green is S&P 500. That's what a lot of people look at for U.S. stocks, but that's only large companies. And then uh, in the fuchsia color is our bonds. So you can see the best thing to be invested in total return that includes dividends and interest. Best thing to invest in so far this year is actually bonds. Uh, which you would expect with the type of scenario that we're in. Plus with interest rates falling, that helps uh, existing bonds that are out there. But you can see that you've had a, a pretty nice recovery for most things here so far this year from the lows uh, back at the end of March. Um, before I jump to kind of a longer term chart, any thoughts on what you're seeing here? Oh, the only thing I would say is with the bonds, is don't mix up that total return with your actual interest that you're getting. Interest is actually a lot less than 7.8%. The reason you're getting that nice return is because interest rates have continued to go down. Therefore, you're getting capital gains within a bond portfolio, and there's not a lot of room for bond prices to go much lower than they are today. So I would not be expecting returns going forward to be anything like 7.8%. 
Uh, past performance is no guarantee for future returns. May have heard that one before or read it in a disclaimer. Yes. And I think that's a very good point. Uh, bonds do a great job of providing some stability to the portfolio. Used to do a great job of providing income as well. Uh, now, not so much, but uh, at least you have something in the portfolio that's there that's um, adding some stability. But you're absolutely right. We we can only go so far to zero or even negative uh, rates, which you've seen around the world. But at some point, <laughs> people will not be buying negative yielding bonds. And um, the, your potential for capital gains is very is much lower um, now that we're at low interest rates instead of high interest rates going back 35, 40 years. Um, so with that, let's take a look at a longer term chart. So we saw that most things have recovered so far this year. Actually, um, international emerging market stocks are not that far off uh, trailing the US uh, as we talk today, looking year to date. But now we're gonna take a look at a 10 year chart. These are the same five uh, indices that we had before. And uh, now, this is again total return. So these normally we show annualized numbers. You know how much you would earn every year. This is just total return, including dividends and interest. Again, same five. We see U.S. stock market are those two numbers that are up 250, 260 percent over the last decade, and uh, that's total stock market and S&P 500. And way down there below. Uh, we've got 70% return for developed international stocks. Bonds have actually done better than emerging market stocks over the last decade. If you would put uh, a dollar in 10 years ago, you would be better off if you bought bonds than emerging market stocks. A lot of people look at this, they see this on the reports or they see this in their investment portfolio and they say, why am I buying all this international stuff? And that's what we want to talk about a little bit more today. Let's talk a little bit more about what um, what we mean by international investing. What just give, give a, a quick breakdown. What are we talking about? And then why do we think it makes sense to have in a U.S. investor's portfolio? So I'm going to share a few different charts here, and then I'll let you kind of take over. Um, so the first one that I have is international well, this is actually a mutual fund that we, we own for uh, a lot of our clients, um, but it's a good good proxy for just looking at developed international stocks and what countries are we talking about? So you see Japan and the UK, Canada, France, um, and you've got a lot of different uh, countries on here. If I move to the next screen, we've got emerging markets and you see um, almost 32% is China. You've got Taiwan, Korea, India, Brazil, um, and a lot of different countries on here. I've got one more chart that I want to go to. As we invest, how does it all break down? Adding those investments together, developed international and emerging markets, how that all lays out. And you see that for our clients, uh, a typical portfolio has, uh, the biggest one's actually Japan, which may be surprising for some people. Yeah, I think uh, probably a lot of our clients would be surprised by that. and. There's a reason for that. And the first reason is simply that valuations of company stocks in Japan are actually quite cheap and valuations matter. 
or looking at potential uh, future returns, and they are cheap in uh, Japan. Now, Japan has a major demographic problem, mm -hmm. and that demographic problem is, is that their working force has been shrinking for at least the last decade. But Japan has been very smart with their manufacturing base in that they have moved a lot of their manufacturing base overseas because they don't have enough working age people to manufacture all the products that they've got and cars and consumer goods and so on. So what Japan has done, moved a lot of their manufacturing overseas and they've moved them to a large degree to the, the countries where they actually sell those goods. And so they get the advantage there that they have populations that, uh, that, that can fill their factories with workers and they sell the products in those countries, but where do the profits go? They go back to Japan. Uh -huh. And so Japan has done a tremendous job of moving a lot of their production overseas because of their major demographic uh, problems. Uh, but the uh, profits come back to Japan. Another reason why uh, Japan is, uh, people are much more noticing that it's a good place to be invested is, it used to be that Japanese companies had very ingrown management and had many major Japanese companies had uh, uh, cross ownership of shares so that a Japanese company uh, had large investments in other Japanese companies and those other companies, some of them would be invested in the company that, uh, that I'm talking about. And therefore, uh, the management uh, was very ingrown. Uh -huh. uh, they weren't very shareholder friendly um, at all. Uh, many Japanese companies built up billions of dollars in cash on their balance sheets and wasn't very shareholder friendly. And they just didn't care. Uh -huh. Well, probably starting about 10 years ago, under really the impetus of U.S. investors, they went in and, of course, were buying shares of Japanese companies and were telling management, you need to change the way that you run their companies. <laughs> and you need to become much more shareholder friendly and we're going to attack you uh, uh, by buying shares, by being very vocal about the fact that you don't care about your shareholders, and uh, we're going to force changes. Well, the Japanese companies, particularly I will say in the last five years or so, have perked up and they're ending a lot of the cross-shareholder uh, ownership. They're becoming much more shareholder friendly. They're increasing dividends and putting more money to work in a shareholder friendly manner. And with that happening, with the stocks having cheaper valuations, there's a good reason 
-hmm. why we are invested, uh, our biggest international holdings are in Japan. And we believe that this is uh, a trend that is really probably in its earlier stages and it's going to continue to happen because one thing that has happened is that the stocks of companies that have started to become more shareholder friendly, guess what? They're going up. Mm -hmm. And so the companies that are laggards with this, they're seeing that their brethren are getting higher price earnings ratios and so on. And so even the laggards are starting to become more shareholder friendly, but uh, investors, particularly U.S. investors, are still pushing them. And that's the biggest reasons why that we have our biggest holdings in Japan. That's a good thing. And that's a trend that I think is going to go on mm-hmm. for uh, a number of years. That, that's a, I think that that's a really good point. And um, don't want to go down the rabbit hole today um, on corporate governance and how it, it fits in. But uh, I just thought it was a good time to mention every mutual fund that we have invested in stocks, whether it's a sustainable fund or not, which we've talked to clients about, they all take into account shareholder um, friendliness and good corporate governance practices in deciding what companies to invest a little bit more in a little bit less. Um, And that, that is something that is a part of the portfolios that is playing out when we see that equity allocation. If you go back and you didn't have good corporate governance practices, Uh, As you said, going back more than 10 years ago, if that same criteria was in there, you would see less invested uh, in Japan uh, for one reason being that. So I think that's really good that you went through that. We could talk about that more some other time, but um, I think those are both really good reasons on why we have, you know, almost 19% of our international exposure is in Japanese companies. So the other ones, about 10% in the UK You've got about 8% in China, which if you remember, that's the biggest emerging market exposure that we have. And then um, then you've got things like Canada and France are next on the list. So now we know what we talk about when we say international, it's it's where companies are headquartered and um, and where they're listed on the stock exchanges. When we talk about international, a lot of companies are, are multinational where we've got U.S. companies do a lot of you know business overseas, but they're still on the U.S. stock market. So why should we invest? Gary, what, what are the reasons to invest internationally? Well, you just mentioned a couple of them. There's a lot of great companies uh, that are foreign co- companies. Nestle, <clears throat> excuse me, out of Switzerland. L'Oreal Hair Care Products is a French company. Uh, LMVH, which is luxury uh, goods, is another French company. Uh, You've got BMW, Mercedes, German companies, as well as Siemens, uh, one of the largest uh, international manufacturing companies. Then you have Toyota in Japan, Uh, Canon, a great company. Uh, photography uh, company and so on and we don't want to miss them just because they aren't uh, American uh, companies. I'll throw in in Samsung which is a Korean company it's one of the largest emerging market 
exposures. We, I think it's the second largest one we have. So, um, yeah. I've got a Samsung, uh, Blu-ray player down <laughs> downstairs. So, yeah, well, Samsung again, a uh, big in telecommunications, 5g, mm-hmm. uh, all sorts of, uh, electronic, both consumer products and, uh, things like 5g infrastructure. It's a great, uh, mm-hmm. Korean, uh, growth company. And we don't want to cut ourselves off from uh, those sorts of companies. But the other thing is diversification. Uh, Foreign markets don't move in lockstep with the U.S. market. And by diversifying, the whole idea is that we have different investments that don't move in lockstep. And while one may be shooting up, uh, another one isn't doing so well or maybe actually maybe down. Mm-hmm. Uh, while one other one is doing very, very well, and the reverse will happen. And so diversification, the big reason there is management of risk and holding some of our portfolio overseas. It's a risk management tool. Absolutely. Uh, I agree. So um, another reason that we talked about was was valuations. Um, we saw in that previous chart, the U.S. stock market has done really, really well comparatively. Well, what do we want to do? Buy low, sell high. We never know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's part of diversification. It's part of rebalancing. It's part of having an asset allocation is to invest uh, in a way that, that you are invested globally across different asset classes, different countries, and then allow rebalancing to help you uh, with that. And valuations are one factor in there. Uh, anything else you want to add on on valuation or, or otherwise? No, I think uh, that I think we pretty well covered that. I think probably maybe the next thing we ought to touch on a little bit is why are we invested in emerging markets, even though you know for several years now they haven't performed very well. And uh, there are good things that are going on in emerging markets, and there are some things that aren't quite as good. But one of them for long-term investors, which we are definitely long-term investors, is the demographics in emerging markets is much, much better than it is in developed market uh, countries. Such as Japan, as you said. (laughs) Much younger populations, uh, their workforces are growing. We talked about Japan and moving uh, manufacturing overseas. Well, that's been both to developed countries, but there's quite a bit of their manufacturing that they have moved to emerging market countries because of the very favorable demographics. And a part of the favorable demographics is that many of these emerging market countries are rapidly growing their middle class. Mm-hmm. And that certainly uh, is a major thing. And not only that are they producing goods, they want to buy these same goods and they want uh, TV sets and stoves and cars and things that was out of their reach before. Well, now they can afford that. And so uh, the uh, middle class, consuming middle class in many of these emerging market uh, countries is going, growing quite rapidly. Well, we want the opportunity 
to be invested in those countries because of those uh, very favorable demographics and the uh, higher growth rates that are in fact happening in emerging markets. Now, problems with emerging markets is that in my mind, there's two things. One of them is that some emerging market countries are poorly, uh, uh, poorly managed. Mm -hmm. Their governments are poor uh, in the way that they run the countries and it holds their development uh, back. And that is a problem. The second problem with emerging market countries is that so many of them have been growing the debts within the countries. They're doing the same thing that uh, established uh, developed countries are doing. And that's a bigger problem in emerging market countries because in most cases they're borrowing in U.S. dollars. And the U.S. dollar, certainly over the last five years, if not more, has been going up in value versus emerging market uh, currencies. And that makes it more expensive for them to pay back those loans that are uh, in U.S. dollars. And so that is holding back some of the development in this countries because uh, they're having problems paying back some of their debts. But the biggest thing here is the demographics mm -hmm. and the fact that the emerging market countries that we're invested in, for the most part, that you have a real growing middle class in, in those countries. And so they're, they are growing. I think it's, I think it's great that, that we talk about both the, the risks and the, and the, the positive things. Um, we both believe and we, we manage portfolios in this way that we believe risk and return are related. Uh, you cannot expect higher mm -hmm. returns without taking on some risk. And um, so there's really good reasons why emerging markets maybe haven't done as well. Uh, you kind of highlighted some risks that are out there. You've got political risk, you've got currency issues. Um, there's, you know, pandemics. It, if you take country by country, there's some emerging markets that are really struggling with dealing with COVID and how that affects their economy. But additional risk um, potentially also exposes you to possible uh, higher returns as well. And uh, that's why we have some emerging markets, but we're also not over-invested. So for our clients, we're invested U.S., developed international, and emerging markets. We've got them all. Um, it's spread out. We're not over-invested in any one area, we believe. But um, those risks are risks that are true and real. They're also part of the story on why you could get some higher returns as well. Yeah, and I would just add to that, Ben, that the emerging markets, uh, because they've underperformed, part of that reason is the U.S. and the U.S. stock market uh, has soaked up so much money worldwide. And of course, that's reflected in the high valuations of, the st of, of our stock market, that there's less uh, money being invested in those emerging markets because so much of it has been soaked up in the U.S. And that just isn't going to continue over, let's say, the next decade. 
the way that it has over the last decade. And that's another reason why I think that the emerging markets are going to attract at least somewhat more money than they have in the last decade. And that's obviously going to help the performance of those markets. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. Well, I think we um, had a quick overview, at least, of, of international emerging markets, why we still think it makes sense to invest globally, not just focus so much on the U.S. Uh, before we close, is there anything else you want to add? Um, not really that I can think of. I think we hit it pretty well, and we may have gone over our uh, time limit again. Uh, I think we're, we're better than last time. Be so. uh, hopefully we haven't put anybody to sleep. Uh, they'll just turn it off. It's fine. So. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, thanks for joining us here for the July um, Investment Review and Outlook. We'll be back next month. If you have questions, uh, want to get a second opinion, want to reach out, um, you can go to illuminatewm.com and uh, find us there. Thanks. Thanks, Gary. I'll talk to you later. Very good.